The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. Every country, every culture enjoys celebrating holidays. For the Jewish people, festivals, holidays, and special occasions originate from the pages of the Bible. Whether you realize it or not, the Jewish calendar is filled with observances that have special significance for the whole world. These feasts of the Lord are something that Christians are discovering. Feasts that reveal amazing insights into Bible prophecy. And we're going to explore these seven annual biblical feasts and show you how God's entire plan of salvation from start to finish is laid out in these events. Hello, I'm Christine Darig and welcome to the program where you're encouraged to accomplish exploits in the name of the Lord. And bringing Jews and Christians together is an important work of the Lord in this prophetic hour. In the process, we're rediscovering our Hebraic roots. The Lord's holy convocations are outlined in the 23rd chapter of the book of Leviticus. Three times a year, all of Israel's men were summoned to appear before God in Jerusalem at three pilgrim festivals over seven months' time and encompassing seven themes represented perhaps by the seven branches of the menorah candlestick. In the spring, in April, on our Western calendars are the holidays of Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits. These three holidays are grouped together collectively as Passover or as the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and they typify foundational aspects of redemption. These first three holidays picture the Passover lamb's cleansing blood and the concept of the substitutional death of Messiah for our sins. Passover began in Egypt with the blood of the lamb sprinkled over the doorpost and lentils of the homes of former slaves. This points to the cross and to Messiah as our Passover lamb, who saved us from the slavery of sin. And the New Testament declares in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7 that Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. In New Testament fulfillment, Jesus, as a bleeding sacrifice, was crucified on the day of preparation for the Passover holiday, at the same hour that the sacrificial lambs were being slaughtered for the commemorative Passover meal. The one-week festival of unleavened bread, Leviticus 23.6, pointed to the Messiah's sinless life. You see, leaven is a picture of sin in the Bible. Yeshua, that's Jesus' Hebrew name, never sinned. So he was the perfect sacrifice for our sin. The holiday of first fruits represents the promise of being 
raised from the dead with Messiah, since he was the first fruits from the dead. His body was in the grave during the first days of this festival, planted like a kernel of wheat. He burst out of the grave as the bread of life. Therefore, the appointed season of first fruits, Leviticus 23.10, is a picture of Messiah as the first of the righteous dead to be resurrected. And because Resurrection Day happened on the holiday of first fruits, the great Jewish theologian St. Paul refers to Yeshua in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 20 as the first fruits from the dead. It's troubling that the church has actually substituted a pagan word, Easter, for the biblical name Passover. Easter is derived from a fertility goddess. We must apply the broom of the Holy Spirit to the cobwebs of erroneous traditions that interfere with God's pictures. Well, moving on, many believers camp out spiritually at Passover and at the important doctrine of salvation, but they don't press on to discover the blessings of the other festivals of the Lord. Mentioned next in Leviticus chapter 23 in verse 16 is the Feast of Weeks, Shavuot in Hebrew, a plural word meaning weeks, because this holiday occurs seven weeks after Passover. In the church world, the festival is called Pentecost, meaning 50. That is 50 days later. And thus the festival of weeks or Pentecost occurs in May or June on Western calendars. So Passover, unleavened bread and first fruits constitute the first major festival. And then the second feast of the Lord, Shavuot or Pentecost, commemorates the giving of the law and the Hebrew nation's marriage to the God of Israel. In the New Testament, it's fulfilled with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, which happened in Jerusalem's upper room 50 days later on the Hebrew calendar when the day of Pentecost had fully come. Pentecost is about sanctification and empowerment of the Holy Spirit. It's about leading a holy life and worshiping God in spirit and in truth. It's about winning the lost at all costs, moving in the power and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The New Testament asks, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? Sadly, many churchgoers never arrive at Pentecost, but others stop here and camp out at the Pentecostal experience, enjoying the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Sadly, many don't move on further to understand all of the Lord's prophetic calendar. So for that reason, I'll spend more time in this program on the third festival, the Feast of Tabernacles. Now the last of the three major festivals of the Lord are grouped together and occur in September or October on the Western calendar during a period of 15 days. These final three festivals include the Feast of Trumpets, or more literally in Hebrew, the Day of Shouting, Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement, and Sukkot, 
which is the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Trumpets, Leviticus 23, verse 24, occurs on the first day of the seventh month on the Hebrew calendar, so it rightfully could be called the day or hour that nobody knows because it can't happen around the world until the new moon is sighted. Many believe this day points to the rapture of the church when Jesus will appear in the heavens to summons his bride, the church, with a shout, with a trumpet blast, with the shofar of God. Just as the moon must be watched in order to celebrate this festival, so we must watch continually for the appearing of the Lord. It's also called Rosh Hashanah, the head of the Jewish New Year. The Feast of Trumpets also speaks of God's New Year of victory, as well as the redemption of our mortal bodies. Consider for a moment that the rapture or what's called the catching away of the church is clearly associated with a noisy day of trumpet blasts. This is because in the New Testament in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verses 16 to 17, Paul declares, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Also in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verses 51 to 52, Paul shared a mystery with us. He said, we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of the eye at the last trumpet. He said the dead will be raised incorruptible and those still living in our earth suits shall be forever changed. The blowing of trumpets also represents the preaching of the gospel, calling men to repent of sin. Then the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, Leviticus 23 and verse 27, speaks of Israel's National Day of Salvation after the rapture. Yom Kippur will ultimately be the Day of Atonement for the Jewish remnant who will look upon him the prophet says, whom they have pierced, and receive Messiah as prophesied in the Hebrew Scriptures and in Romans chapter 11 and verse 26. And so all Israel, it says, shall be saved. Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, is certainly not a feast. It's an appointed season, the most somber fast day of the year, calling to mind our continuing need of forgiveness and cleansing. While Passover is a picture of the Lamb of God for world salvation, Yom Kippur is a picture of Israel's ultimate national salvation. Presently, each Jewish person on Yom Kippur focuses upon self-examination with the hopes that their names will be inscribed in the Book of Life. And remarkably, the whole nation of Israel comes to a halt and enters a no-man's land between heaven and earth, each person seeking, what's my legacy going to be if I should be taken from the world? 
In sharp contrast, Yom Kippur is followed by a full week of rejoicing. The last of the seven appointed seasons is the Feast of Booths, or Tabernacles. This is mentioned in Leviticus chapter 23 and verse 34. Many scholars believe this week-long festival points to the Lord's promise to tabernacle with His people when He returns to reign over the world. During this joyous holiday, the people dwell in booths, or Sukkot in Hebrew. This is a picture of the new heaven and earth when Messiah Yeshua reigns from Jerusalem. But tabernacles is also a throwback to the time when Israel lived in the wilderness with only God as their protection and covering. It's interesting that the Jewish people don't just remember, they relive their history. During tabernacles, they vacate their usual surroundings and go back to basics, spending seven days camping out with their families, dining and sleeping in simple huts. I always say any time is a fascinating time to visit Israel because of Bible prophecy being fulfilled exponentially. But it's especially interesting to visit during the Feast of Tabernacles to see this ancient biblical holiday reenacted with families living in their sukkahs. When we held one of our recent Feast of Tabernacles banquets in Jerusalem, although we were eating in a kosher restaurant in the Jewish quarter of the old city, one of our speakers, an Orthodox Jew, couldn't eat the conference meal with us because he's commanded only to eat and sleep in a sukkah during the Feast of Tabernacles. Well, to summarize so far, the three major festivals typify the three aspects of God's plan of redemption. Passover speaks of salvation and healing. Shavuot, or Pentecost, is a picture of sanctification and power, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, when we progressively move from life in the flesh to life in the Spirit. And then the joyous Feast of Tents, or Tabernacles, is symbolic of victorious conquest and rest, the life of an overcomer, when we enter into the Father's Sabbath rest. Passover is the festival of the sun, Pentecost, Shabbat is the festival of the Holy Spirit, and Tabernacles is the feast of the Father. Now let's consider some simple lessons from the sukkah, the tabernacle. Flimsy and exposed to the elements, sukkot or huts that shelter observant Jews during the week of rejoicing each autumn. These sukkahs, so easy to break down and pack up, are a memorial of the tents that shaded the Jews from the desert sun during their exodus out of Egypt. A sukkah is fragile and could never serve as a bomb shelter. Rather, it's designed as a humble, temporary shelter, a picture of dependency upon God, and a reminder that truly in this world, we're pilgrims only passing through. The makeshift sukkah speaks of the fragility and impermanence of life. The rooftop is to be partially open so the stars can be seen, 
to gaze toward God in heaven. Tabernacles is also the festival of joy. A feast of tabernacles holiday greeting in Hebrew is Modain Le Simcha, times of joy. During this holiday, God commands his people to control their emotions, to be joyful for an entire week. One rabbi said to be continually joyful for a whole week is the most difficult of all the Lord's commands. And I'm sure the complainers and the whingers would agree. But I'm also reminded of the Apostle Paul's admonition, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. The whole idea is to forget about television and the internet. Invite the special guest of the Bible into your simple sukkah. Commune with the patriarchs and the matriarchs, with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Joseph, and David, with Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, Leah, Miriam, Deborah, and Ruth. Introduce them rather than pop idols to your children and sing and speak and share together. What other lessons can we learn from the Feast of Tabernacles? Well, the Bible doesn't mention specifically when Jesus was born, but the time of his birth can be discovered if you do the math. Based upon clues in the New Testament, and surely no fact is recorded by accident, scholars say Yeshua was conceived during Hanukkah. That means the light of the world was conceived during the Festival of Lights, the Feast of Dedication, which is another Jewish holiday called Hanukkah. Although it's not a Levitical feast, Hanukkah is celebrated worldwide by the Jews because of the rededication of their temple during the time of the Maccabees. And this festival is mentioned in the New Testament in John 10:22. The time of gestation, 40 weeks later after Hanukkah is, guess what? Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles. So does a sukkah look vaguely familiar, like a stable perhaps? It's very possible that Jesus was born in a sukkah. The night the Savior was born in a stable, there was no room in the inn because there was a census going on in Bethlehem. The temporary shelters called Sukkot for animals were the only shelters available. In fact, the Hebrew word for stable is Sukkoth. Isn't that amazing? Furthermore, the Gospel of John gives us a clue by stating that Yeshua came to dwell or tabernacle amongst us. This makes the Feast of Tabernacles even more meaningful. It's a perfect time to sing all of those lovely Christmas carols. Also, an important part of the Feast of Tabernacles is prayer for rain. During temple times, a water ceremony was performed to thank God in advance for rain for the harvest. A gold water pitcher carried water from the pool of Siloam to be poured onto the altar as verses were recited from Isaiah chapter 12. They said, The Lord God is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. Therefore, with joy will you draw water 
from the well of salvation. The Hebrew word for salvation is Yeshua. And it was at this time on the last day, the great day of the Feast of Tabernacles, that Jesus dramatically stood up and cried out what's recorded in John chapter 7 and verses 37 to 38. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Jesus said, he who believes in me, as the scriptures testify, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Only the true Messiah could make such a claim. The seventh and last day of the feast is called Hoshana Rabbah, meaning the great salvation. It's a climatic day of prayer and praise. According to the oral tradition recorded in the Mishnah in Sukkah, Four five. During the temple period, willow branches were placed around the altar while the people recited, Hoshiana, save us, please. The water procession involved four types of trees, the willow, the myrtle, the palm, and a citrus. The willow has no fragrance and no fruit. The myrtle has fragrance, but no fruit. The palm has no fragrance, but bears fruit. And the citrus has both fragrance and fruit. This is a rabbinic commentary reminiscent of the four types of soil in one of Yeshua's parables. Well, there's more. The Feast of Tabernacles is also a futuristic event when all nations will gather in Jerusalem to worship King Messiah. Whenever we celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles in the streets of Jerusalem, we're part of a dress rehearsal that was prophesied in Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 16, which says all nations will gather here to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. And Revelation chapter 21 and verse 3 recorded a loud voice from the throne of God in heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And it will be during a future Feast of Tabernacles that one of the precious promises of God to Mary, made in Luke chapter 1 and verse 33, from the angel Gabriel, concerning Mary's son will finally be fulfilled. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Well, in the West, we've been partially celebrating, in a way, the Feast of Tabernacles during harvest festivals. And in the United States, we celebrate Thanksgiving Day, the third Thursday in November. America's Pilgrim Fathers looked to the Bible to find a way to thank God for the harvest. And so they modeled Thanksgiving Day after the Feast of Tabernacles. And so the Feast of Tabernacles is many things. It's a time for looking back, for remembering that God is our shelter. It's a time to celebrate the birth of Jesus 
a time to be thankful for his present provisions, and a time to look forward to the millennium peace on earth. In Amos 3, 7, one of my favorite verses, God declared he would do nothing without first revealing his plans to his servants, the prophets. And from Genesis to Revelation, God provided picture after picture of his plan of redemption typified in the feasts of the Lord. Please note that the Hebrew word for festivals is moadim and literally means appointed times. You see, God has carefully orchestrated the sequence of each of these seven appointments, seven festivals, to reveal the story of redemption. These annual seven holy days are still faithfully rehearsed by observant Jews. The first four of the seven feasts, Passover, eleven bread, first fruits, and the weeks or Pentecost, all occur in the springtime, and all of these convocations have already been fulfilled by Messiah to the letter. After a period of time known as the Church Age or the times of the Gentiles, the final three Levitical holidays, trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles occur during the fall, all within a 15-day period. If the first four spring feasts were fulfilled literally in connection with the Lord's first coming, it follows that the final three autumn festivals will be fulfilled literally in connection with the Lord's second coming. Now it remains to be asked, should Christians celebrate Israel's feast days? Well, it's a revelation to celebrate these feasts because of what they symbolize about Jesus. However, the Apostle Paul wisely ruled in the book of Colossians in chapter 2, verses 16 to 17, Don't let anyone judge you by whatever you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival day. These, he said, are but a shadow of the things that are to come. The reality is found in Messiah. So disciples of Jesus are certainly not bound to observe the Jewish feasts. But on the other hand, we shouldn't criticize believers who enjoy their deep significance. It's without a doubt beneficial to study how Messiah fulfills the Lord's appointed festivals. As Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this study of the feasts of the Lord. To watch any of our programs anytime, please visit our website at exploits.tv where you can also request a free copy of our newsletter, Exploits. We'd love to send you a copy. Contending for the Faith, I'm Christine Darg. Shalom. Psalm 122 commands us to pray for the peace of this city, and it promises that all who love Jerusalem shall prosper. 
The Jerusalem Channel gives you the opportunity to be a watchman upon the walls 24-7. And we have available to you more than 100 videos that are absolutely free online to everybody in the world. But we need you to be one of the supporters. We need you to be a watchman for the Jerusalem Channel and to surround us with your love and prayers. If you're watching from the United States, please know that your donation is tax deductible. And if you are a viewer and one of our watchmen in the United Kingdom, we are a registered charity and that helps us so much when you support us. In the meantime, we invite you to come up to Jerusalem and keep the festivals of the Lord with us and to be part of our prayer conferences. Support the Jerusalem Channel as you pray for the peace of Jerusalem and love this city. God, I'm sure, is well pleased. I'm Christine Darg, wishing you shalom and peace from the city of the great King.